Interactions that happen online can be measured, they can be tracked, and therefore they can be improved. So there's this growing amount of data that if we can use it right, we can use it to be smarter and less spam. The B2B Marketing Exchange was created with one goal in mind, to help B2B practitioners across marketing and sales be better at their jobs. Now we're bringing the insights from the stage to your ears. These are the tips and tools you need to succeed. This is the B2B Marketing Exchange Podcast. Hey everyone, we're back with another episode of the B2BMX podcast. We've been so busy here because we were preparing for our next level ABM virtual event, which is actually wrapping up today. And it's it's been an awesome event so far. It really turned out to feature the best of the best in ABM. All of these amazing practitioners and analysts share their success stories and insights for practitioners for all stages of the ABM journey. So whether you are new to ABM or you consider yourself an expert, there is absolutely plenty of sessions for you to check out to really level up your ABM game. So you could actually still check out all of these sessions on demand, even though the event is ending today. The link to register is in our show notes, so don't miss out. ABM, it's always been a key topic of coverage at all of our events, right? You truly can't avoid the benefits and absolute need for ABM in this day and age in B2B marketing. And one of the pioneers of ABM is John Miller, right? He not only predicted the rise of marketing automation, but also predicted the rise of ABM as well. He founded Marketo and Engageo, of course, and now he is the CMO at Demandbase, a leading ABM platform. And he presented a stellar keynote at B2BMX in Scottsdale, where he showed the audience exactly how to start using account intelligence to spot opportunities earlier, engage with them more intelligently, and really close deals faster. He even shared the secret sauce for how Demandbase does it and included some really fascinating metrics and benchmarks as well. So today we're going to go back to Scottsdale and revisit John's session. It was called Unspam Your Brand, Account Intelligence for Smarter Go-To-Market. So I have the episode all ready to roll. Listen in to learn why go-to-market fragmentation forces smart people to do stupid things sometimes, like spam their buyers, how to develop your own account intelligence strategy and inject relevance into every step of the buying process, and practical tips and campaign ideas that you could actually implement at your company almost right away. So with that, let's roll the tape. My whole career, starting with my first consulting job out of college to a company called Exchange and then Epiphany, and then founding Marketo and founding Engageo and now Demandbase, I've been inspired by the same vision. Vision of helping companies to use data and intelligence to be a lot smarter and less spammy about how they interact with their customers. That's why I chose to merge Engageo with Demandbase, and it's the theme of today's presentation. So I hope that you will come out of this as inspired by that vision as I am. So before we really get into the meat, just a couple of quick fun facts about me. I studied physics for my undergraduate degree. In addition to being an entrepreneur and a marketer, I'm a dad. These are my kids. My son actually just turned 16 last month. So when you combine these two facts together, it turns out I'm a big fan of what I call nerdy dad jokes. And so we're going to have a bunch of those interspersed throughout today's presentation to keep everyone on their toes. So for example, 
the two Adams were walking across the road when one of them exclaimed, oh no, I think I lost an electron. The other Adam replied, are you sure? And what do you think the other one said? He said, yep, I'm absolutely positive. <laughs> so let me now tell you why I am absolutely positive that there is an opportunity for B2B brands to be a lot smarter and less spammy. Really talking about B2B buying today. So, you know, if you work in business, like y'all do, you yourselves have been the target of the standard B2B marketing playbook today. You've gotten the emails and the phone calls probably many times a day. And it's not pretty. You know, so, so what's going on here? Like, if you meet these marketing and salespeople, you see right away they're smart. You have to be smart to survive in B2B today. And yet, all of these otherwise really smart marketing and salespeople are forced to do stupid things and are constantly bombarding their customers and prospects with spam. Now, this is important. By spam in this presentation, I'm not just talking about non-opt-in email. I'm saying that every unwanted or unhelpful or irrelevant interaction across any channel is spam. And that's the state of the world today. And buyers are frustrated. But you know, it doesn't have to be this way. Think of your experience as a consumer. We've all come to expect some pretty smart sales, marketing, and e-commerce experiences in our personal lives. Think about when you shop on Amazon, right? I mean, it's trite to say this, but they know you. <laughs> they know what you've bought. They know what you've researched. They know what you like. And they use all that data, all that intelligence, to make your experiences a lot better, more relevant, more, more personalized. And the good news is that that opportunity is happening and coming to B2B because B2B buying is increasingly online. You know, despite the fact that here we are at an in-person conference, oh my gosh, 90% of B2B buying today is happening, you know, online. And the move to online creates both challenges, but also opportunities. On the challenge side, you know, most buyers today are increasingly researching products and services anonymously. On our own websites, they don't want to fill out forms because we've trained them. If they fill out a form, they're going to get calls that they don't want. And so they're doing their research anonymously. And then off of our website, they're doing research. And those signals are hidden from our traditional marketing automation scoring. Now, plus, unlike at Amazon, in B2B, if we do get a signal from a person, right, that's still just like a sliver of a view of what's happening really across a complex multi-person buying committee. And so when you combine all this together, all this complexity and fragmented data, it results in what I call account blindness. The inability for our salespeople and our marketers to really know what's happening at the account, and that is fundamentally what's creating this epidemic of spam. The good news, as I said, is that there's also opportunities. Because in this digital world, the buyers you know, are dropping signals. If it, uh, interactions that happen online can be measured. They can be tracked. 
and therefore they can be improved. So there's this growing amount of data that if we can use it right, we can use it to be smarter and less spammy. And fundamentally, you know, if, if account blindness is the problem, I'm saying that the answer is account intelligence. So this slide here is kind of the roadmap for the first part of today's presentation. You know, where I'll be explaining what account intelligence really is. So I'll walk through each of these. And then for the second part of today's presentation, I'll get, I don't know if personal is the right word, but I'll get personal about how demand base ourselves as marketers are using some of these principles to create better experiences for our customers. So that's, what, that's the roadmap for today's presentation. So before we get into it, nerdy dad joke time. So the sheepdog chased all the sheep into the pen and he told the farmer all 40 sheep accounted for. The farmer was a little confused though and said, I only have 36 sheep. And the sheep said, yup, I know, but I rounded them up. Some of these get a little trickier as we go, so. <laughs> Trying to make sure everybody's paying attention. All right, so, so let's talk about building our account intelligence. Starting with that first party data. There are signals that we have about what's happening at our accounts, sitting in our CRM system, in our marketing automation, our, our, our exchange servers and our Gmail calendars and so on. So if we can collect all this information together and match it to the account, uh, using what's known as lead to account matching, we are starting to have the first step to account intelligence. You know, the ability to sort of, you know, take all the data that we have and, and make it work. Um, but even if we get the data together, it still needs some work before it's really usable. Because on average, probably 25% of the database is messed up. You know, there's duplicate data in there. There are, you know, there's wrong information. I mean, think about it. Like, even if you had the data that was right at one moment in time, it's going to get wrong because people get promoted and they leave jobs. And companies grow or shrink or they acquire each other. And so you have to get your data clean, and then you also have to keep it maintained over time. So that's the second step in building your account intelligence. Collect your data, clean it, and maintain it. But where account intelligence really comes alive is then when we start to augment our first-party data with reliable and accurate third-party data. And, and, and to be honest, this is the kind of new part I mean, if you go back to my Marketo days, we had first-party data. We tracked things, and we used segmentation, all that. But there wasn't really a lot of availability of, of high-quality third-party data. You know, the availability of all this kind of stuff today, that's kind of, I think, the revolution that's happening in B2B. So let me just kind of talk through some of these types of third-party data fairly quickly. You know, the first one is just company information. So, you know, there are... Ballpark 20 million you know, companies out there with, say, 5 million of revenue or more. So you probably want to know which of those 20 million companies are good prospects for you. You know, based on their size, their industry, their location. You know, you're going to want to know parent and child relationships, hierarchy data. You know, and you're going to use this to identify your, you know, your target lists, your ideal customer profiles. But you also, even for the accounts that you have, you want to make sure the data is accurate. You have the appropriate size information and location so you can set up territories and, and things like that. So 
you know, you're going you're gonna to buy this data from a vendor, including Demandbase or others. Um, so we get that data by looking at about 40,000 different sources, public sources, um, other companies that we can buy it from. The key that we're doing is we're really, we're not going to say data's right until we can triangulate it from multiple sources and, and validate it, you know, for accuracy. So that's your company data. But you also need data about the people, right? Even, in, you know, in the world of account-based marketing, there are still people involved. There are four to nine buyers involved in any given buying committee. Uh, and so you're going to want to know who those people are. You know, you're not going to want to spam them with unwanted emails, but you want to probably identify them and have them in your database and know how to reach them, phone, social data, connections, you know, that kind of stuff. And again, this data is going to come from a vendor triangulated across multiple sources. One thing to keep in mind, you know, is, you know, just because I've, I've evaluated data vendors before, it's not just about who's got the most contacts, right? What you really want to know is who's got the most accurate contacts for the people that you are actually going to be selling to. So just tip, you know, tip on that piece. Now we're getting into some of the cooler kinds of data. You know, the first one is you know, account identification. How do we take otherwise anonymous activity, people on our site, people on third-party sites, and figure out what company that activity is coming from? And this is really valuable to start getting otherwise anonymous signals. Historically, companies like Demandbase did this through the IP address. And that was cool for a while, and then we all started working from home. And those IPs got wonky. So vendors like us had to adjust and start looking at cookie data. And so now our match rates are better than they were before COVID, which is great. And then many of you know cookies are going away. So then we're going to have to get smarter again. I mean, the good news is we've learned a lot of home IP addresses that map to different companies. So it's a constantly evolving game here. And there's a lot of AI involved with it. And so it's really important to like dig into the accuracy of the AI. It's not, I mean, most often people are looking at match rates. What percentage of the traffic to my site can you de-anonymize? The thing is, there's a trade-off between match and accuracy. Think about it. I could tell you 100% of the traffic at your website works at IBM. And you would have a 100% match rate. It just wouldn't be very accurate. So it is about balancing match rate and accuracy. OK, two more data types I want to talk about. Um, technographic data. This, honestly, is really cool if you're a technology company. Our predictive analytics actually show that for technology companies, knowing the, the other technologies a company has installed is the number one most important factor for account identification, or like picking your ideal customer profile. At Demandbase, I really care what CRM you use and what market automation you use. And you're going to use this data to identify good fit accounts. You can also figure out which companies are using your competitors, and perhaps even when those contracts might be up for renewal. And if you know the technologies the company has, you can start to predict what technology they might buy next, and maybe it's yours. So this is really cool data. The historical way that a lot of companies get that is by looking at the tag on the website. You can tell if a company uses demand base just by looking at the code of the website because they're going to have our script on that page. But most technologies, you can't get it from the tag. You know, I don't know if you can track Depalti based on 
know, a website tag. And so you, you know, have to be smarter about where you get that information. The, the best way to do that is you look at like job postings, you know, and see what technologies that company talks about in their job listings or resumes of people who have worked at that company and what technologies they talk about using. So again, there's a lot of data science involved to sort of forming this, this technographic data, especially for the stuff behind the firewall. The last data type I want to talk about is intent. Now you've been living under a rock if you haven't heard of intent data in B2B the last few years. This is sort of the holy grail magic data that tells you when an account might be in market and ready to purchase a solution like yours. So that when you reach out, it's not spam, but it's actually relevant and timely. Um, and it's also for finding, uh, you know, again, if, if competitors might be trying to sneak into your accounts, you know, based on the intent that the data that they show. So I think there's a lot of mystery about where does intent data come from? So let me try to just demystify that for a second. Every intent provider, whether you're Bombora or Demandbase or G2 or TechTarget or anybody else, we all get the data starting from the same basic idea. There's a person on a web page. Maybe it's the New York Times and they're reading an article, or maybe it's a G2 review. So step one from having these signals is to de-anonymize that, that, that traffic. And again, you're not going to figure out who the person on that page is, but you can figure out what company they work for using the stuff I just talked about. And then you start doing some content extraction on the page. If it's G2, you know what the page is about. You know, if it's the New York Times, we have to do some AI at NLP to figure out that maybe this page is about digital security, whereas this one's about security at the border. Once you have this, this signal, Um, it's, it's, you, have to, you can start to sort of form your intent data. And it's not about any one article. One article doesn't show intent. It's about finding a pattern and a history of repeatedly seeing uh, co concepts and, and not other things. And so really, we're going to sort of find kind of two kinds of intent. The first is what I kind of call the baseline level. You know, are there a lot of people at that company who read topics, articles about this topic? Or are there a few? So is it high or low intent? And then we also want to be finding those little spikes when there's a sudden jump up in intent versus the baseline. And that is trending intent or a surge. And that's really kind of that magic moment that's going to help you reach out uh, in a non-spammy and relevant way. And you're going to know what keywords and language to use when you reach out because you know exactly what keywords they're reading about. So that's the end of part one. That's account intelligence. Your first party data matched together and cleansed and maintained, augmented with rich third party data. And when you have access to this account intelligence, you can spot opportunities earlier and be a lot more relevant and less spammy in your interactions. But only if you can actually turn that insight into action. And it turns out that's not always so easy. Gartner research shows that more than two thirds of companies have said that their biggest challenge with intent data is figuring out how to use it. How are you going to get it in front of your salespeople? How are you going to use it in your ads? How are you going to use it to have better segmentation in your campaigns? So that's what I want to talk about with the rest of the time. And again, I'll be sharing examples of how we're doing it ourselves at Demandbase. But hopefully you know now before we go to a new section, nerdy dad joke time. So 
Many of you have heard this one. Why is six afraid of seven? Well, because 79, exactly. But less commonly known is why did seven eat nine? And it turns out it's because you're supposed to eat three squared meals a day. All right, so how can we activate this account intelligence to be smarter and less spammy? And there are kind of four ways I like to kind of think about it. The first is using it in your account-based marketing programs, or what I like to call account-based experience. Second is using it in your advertising to make your ads more relevant and less spammy. The third is just give it to your salespeople so they have access to this intelligence when they are prospecting and emailing and selling. And the fourth is to put it into your other systems, most often a data lake or an analytics tool so that your BI teams and your, your data scientists have access to more data as well. I'm going to talk about the first three of these. Um, but ultimately, it's about injecting intelligence into every step of the buyer's journey. So account-based experience. Um, how do you use this intelligence to make deliver the right experience for every account at each stage of the journey. And it starts with an acronym I like to call FIRE. So FIRE, the F, this stands for FIT. This is, is this account in our ideal customer profile? I'm going to be looking at that company data and that technographic data, and maybe even their baseline intent. I stands for intent. Are they showing surges you know, or trends? The R stands for relationship. This one's a little more subtle. I, I briefly mentioned connections, but do we know people at that account? Have we worked with them in the past? Maybe at another customer? Have we sold to them before or have an open opportunity in the past? And then the E is engagement. This is your first party data. Are they coming to your website? Are they reading your content, attending your events? Each of these ingredients are important in of them, their own right. And then at demand base, we combine them into something that we call pipeline predict. This is an AI model that's actually looking at the behaviors that our best accounts showed as they were leading up to becoming an opportunity, and then looking, scoring other accounts for are they showing a similar pattern of behaviors. We take all this data, and then we use it to understand where each account is in an account journey. So this is sort of like traditional MQL, SQL waterfall, but kind of applied to the account level. So this is what our journey looks like. You might have different stages, and that's totally OK. At the top, we call qualified. These are the accounts that fit our ideal customer profile. Aware, these are the accounts that are qualified and are showing baseline intent, but not really engaging with us yet. Engaged is now they're starting to engage with me, um, but they're not in market. They're not showing buying signs yet. So they knew who we are, and they're, you know, but, but they're not raising their hand. And then MQA, this is that magic moment. MQA stands for Marketing Qualified Account. It's a play on the classic MQL, Marketing Qualified Lead, but applied to the account level. And this is when we see that account showing those buying signs, high surging intent and other predictive analytics. And then the model continues, opportunities and customers, and we even have actually more than one post-sale stage to measure adoption and expansion. And so that's where step one now is we know where each account is in the journey using all this intelligence. And as I'll show you, we treat them differently at different stages. The other dimension of how we treat our accounts is their tier. 
of each account. And I wish I had more time to really go, there's a lot of science to go into the tiering of accounts. Um, but needless to say, more valuable accounts, we're gonna wanna invest more in. You know, and, and you can have few tier ones and more tier fours. And then the magic happens when you can fill out this grid. Right, how, if you have a tier two in the aware stage, how, what, you, you know, what do you wanna do with them? How are you going to market to them and sell to them? And that's, and that's defining what I call your entitlements. And at least for marketing, your entitlements are usually gonna fall into four categories. Number one, data. Are you gonna collect, how often are you gonna get contacts for that account and maintain it and keep things up to date? Your advertising budget. Direct mail, I have a category in its own right. Everybody might get direct mail, but your tier ones might get fancier direct mail. Or maybe MQA accounts get fancier direct mail that other ones don't get. And then high value offers is just really a bucket for all sorts of other one-to-one -one experiences, meetings with your CEO, invitations to high-end events, custom cameo messages, and so on. So this is what demand bases entitlements for 2022 actually look like. I don't expect most of you, except the people in the back, to be able to see a copy of it. Some of you are taking photos, which is great. Don't worry, if you come by our booth, we'll make sure to get you a copy of this. The main thing I wanted, the reason I popped it up is because I wanted you to see this isn't rocket science, right? This is not 12 pages of stuff. It fits on one slide. But this is the contract that we have between marketing and sales that says, this is how we do our ABX strategy. You know? And once this is in place, right, all, everybody's aligned and magic happens. So that's how we use intelligence in our ABM programs. Dad joke time, before we get to the next topic. I have teenagers. Why do teenagers always travel in groups of threes and fives? Well, it's because they can't even. <laughs> All right, so B2B advertising. How do we use intelligence to make our ads more relevant and less spammy? So turns out B2B advertising is kind of tricky. It's not the same as like, retargeting people who shopped for boots. The first thing we need to do is when somebody's on a page, we have to figure out what company does that person work for because do we want to advertise to them? Well, that's that de-anonymization that I talked about before. This one's Walmart, this one's Land's End. The trickier, second thing we got to do that's harder is then optimize our spending across accounts. Because if you're not careful, what happens is the number of impressions an account's gonna receive is gonna be proportional to the number of people who work at that account. Kinda makes sense. The problem is Walmart has two million employees and Land's End has 5,000 employees. So if you're targeting both of them in the same campaign, you're not careful, Walmart's gonna suck up all the budget, leave very little for Land's End. And that's exactly what we see in the data. When you are using a, a non-B2B optimized DSP, a B2C DSP, if you will, 85% uh, of the impressions go to just the top 10% of the accounts, meaning many accounts, the majority of accounts, end up getting fewer than 100 impressions. You wanna be smart about how you optimize your bids. And then you wanna make sure you get your bids in front of the right people within the accounts. Now the way that's traditionally done is with title targeting. You might say, I wanna hit VPs of marketing and sales. Two problems with that. The first problem is that demand base, there's a bunch of VPs of marketing and sales who are never gonna be a buyer for me, the VP of product marketing, for example. But the bigger problem is that the data that exists for targeting online is optimized for B2C, and we get only about 30% match rates in B2B. And so while target, tit target titling has a place, 
We have found that it's actually much more effective to optimize our bids using the intent data. Because even though we don't know who the person is, we know who that cookie is that's showing the intent. And it turns out this works really, really well. We get about seven times more engagement on high intent cookies than we do from the average cookie. And so this stuff works, I guess, is kind of the short answer. So then our ads are going to go back to that account journey to make sure we're always showing the most relevant ads to account in each stage. Early in the journey, we're going to be focusing on building our brand on a foundation of trust. Right? We're not selling to them. We're just trying to create an emotional connection. For accounts that are in the aware or engaged stage, we're going to move from emotion to logic with content and thought leadership. When we see an account in the MQA stage, this is where we want to get aggressive. Right? The ads are going to become a little bit more like, hey, take a demo, talk to us. And we're going to surround that in an orchestrated way with direct mail and email and things like that. When an account's in an opportunity, this is cool. We don't stop marketing to them. We actually expand the number of people we're marketing to at the account so we can make sure we're building consensus and validation across the buying committee. And then we actually advertise to our customers even with the goal of driving adoption as well as retention and cross-sell. Um, and so this is, again, how our ads are going to be more relevant and less spammy, powered by the account intelligence. So quick dad joke time. We're getting near the end of the presentation. I had an argument with a 90-degree angle, but I lost. You can probably guess why I lost, because it was right. All right, so the last topic here is how do we give this intelligence to our salespeople? And this is hugely important, because the model for how sales and marketing work together has really changed from my Marketo days. You know, in those days, it was a baton handoff. Marketing would generate a lead and hand it to sales. But in today's world, it feels much more like a soccer team. We have players in different positions, and they're passing the ball back and forth as we move the ball up and down the field. You know, this is, in some ways, a harder model, but it's also a much more effective model if you want to make money. And so we think about kind of three levels of alignment to get these teams to work together. Level one is just making sure we all have the same data. That's that account intelligence in the first place. Just having it is the first step to alignment. Step two is to start sh proactively sharing the insights, and step three is to really coordinate those interactions like a soccer team. So I'll talk about two and three here. In terms of the insights, we found a lot of effectiveness with sending alerts. Um, you know, you can send an alert if there's a new MQA account, if an account is showing, like an open opportunity starts showing intent for a competitor, maybe somebody, an executive from an account downloads my book, we actually have a group that meets every once a month, you know, and we have representatives from SDRs and AEs and even CSMs and account managers. And we talk about what alerts are you getting that are relevant, which ones should we stop sending you, which ones should we start sending you. And this monthly meeting means these alerts are getting better and better and more relevant for each, each, of the, each group gets different alerts. And it gets smarter over time. This, is, this has been a really good thing for getting us talking um, and sharing information. But the real secret to level three soccer team coordination is what I call ABX stand-ups. This is taken from development. It's, it's a bi-weekly meeting every other two weeks with just the marketer, the salesperson, and the SDR. It's 20 minutes long max, scheduled for 15. 
And the, and the agenda is sharing information. Marketing saying what's happening at those accounts, and then the, the salesperson playing the quarterback and saying, here's the plays that we're gonna run to make this happen. Snowflake uses this, uh, Salesforce uses this, Anaplan uses this. Um, one thing that you know, people worry about is like, gosh, I don't have enough marketers to do this for all my salespeople. We've actually set it up almost like an office hours where the reps who have the biggest pipeline gaps and the biggest challenges you know, sign up for office hours. Um, so not every account is getting it every two weeks, and that's how we've sort of managed you know, the people you know, side of things. And with that, I think we're basically at time. Um, so hopefully you are inspired by the vision of account intelligence and how to make it active. If you liked it, then you'll love my book, uh, The Clear and Complete Guide to Smarter Go-To-Market, which you can get at demandbase.com guide. And with that, I just wanna you know, thank you for your time and attention. It was great to be in front of a crowd again. You're the best. All right, folks, that is a wrap on John. And I just love how he emphasized the importance of getting smarter with the way we engage today's buyers. Spam is real and our buyers are much smarter than that. And not to mention spam could be anything, right? It doesn't have to be just an email that goes straight to a junk folder. It could be any uninformed, irrelevant interaction. So marketing and sales must be relevant in their messaging in a way to get buyers to really want to hear more and engage more with them. So I hope you enjoyed the session as much as I did. That's all I have for today's episode. Be sure to subscribe to the pod so you don't miss any new episodes. We're of course available on any podcast player of your choice. And then as always, catch us on Twitter and LinkedIn to share your feedback and let us know who else you want to hear from on the podcast. Thank you again for joining me today. I hope you can all take advantage of our next level ABM event. So whether you've been attending it live all week or you want to check it out on demand, I have the link to register and get access for on-demand viewing in the show notes. So check it out. And yeah, thanks again, everyone. Take care.